You're listening to The LaunchCast, the podcast about leadership, business, life, and growth with me, your host, George Andriopoulos. It's like food for your ears. At this time, I'm going to ask that you fasten your seatbelts. Launch sequence. Launch sequence activated. Launch sequence activated. Five, four, three, two, one. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to the LaunchCast. This is take two, by the way, guys. Trying this again. Episode 303, season three. I'm not going to have Butterfingers and hit the wrong button again like I did the first time. This one's called Repurpose Your Pain. I see my guest in the green room. She's in a whole lot of pain watching me do this for a second time right now. It's the Launch Dad himself bringing you your favorite podcast on the planet. Leadership, business, life, growth. Right now, as the beat drops. What is happening, guys? I am still super rusty at this in season three. It's been a while, man. It's been like five months since I've done uh, the, the launch cast, and I'm, I'm getting getting back into it. We're in the third episode of this new season, and uh, uh, we, we've had so much great response to our first two episodes. That was the, the two-part roundtable that we did with our TEDx alumni, one of which is here tonight and i'm so excited to have her and we'll get into that in a minute um but yeah thank you so much for the great response on our first two episodes i had a lot of fun doing those actually truth be told they weren't meant to be podcast episodes originally uh when when i was recording them they they were meant to be a little piece that we were going to do to market tedx farmingdale which right now as we're recording this on thursday night is happening in a day and a half uh, and we're super excited about it. Um, but yeah, they turned into the, the first one, especially turned into such great content that I was like, all right, I got to do this again. And then the second one didn't disappoint uh, twice as many guests on that second episode, um, twice as much content. And and uh, we did a lot of good out there uh, talking about this TED experience and, you know, bringing these ideas worth spreading to to the red dot and, and spreading them out in the world. So um, I thank everybody for the support on those first two episodes. And uh, here we go. We're going to continue doing what we do. We're back with another leadership interview today. My favorite kind of episode. Uh, but I will tell you, we have some crazy shit cooking this season, guys. I told you that we are doing some of these roundtable debate episodes. And so I've been doing the logistics for the first one of those. I'm not going to give it away. Um, but we have uh, uh, some really important conversations that are going to be happening on this show this season. So I'm excited for you to see the new the new format here as we continue on this season. But... This is our bread and butter tonight. This is what we do. So I'm not going to waste too much time. I'm going to mention one more thing before I bring our guest on. Um, the the production company stuff that we talked about uh, uh, in the last couple of episodes is really taking shape. And so you're going to see a lot of podcasts that are going to be produced by the company 
that produces this podcast. Uh, and we're going to brand that. We're going to start talking about that. So I want to just throw out there as a little mini ad. Anybody out there in the podcast world that is looking to be produced by some people that know what we're doing a little bit. We know a little bit about a little bit. Reach out. Reach out to me at Launchpad CEO on all of our social media platforms. DM me. Hit me up. We will have a conversation. Or if you are new to this and you are looking to get into uh, podcasting as a platform for your messaging, hit me up. Let's talk. All right. So without any further ado, you guys are tired of looking at this ugly face. Uh, let me bring on a much more pleasant face to look at than mine. There she is. Hey. My guest nice today. My guest today, my good, good friend, Estella Lugo. Estella, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. It's exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let me do the brief bio, Estella, and then we will get it going. So Estella Lugo was born and raised on Long Island, New York by the world's most amazing Puerto Rican parents. I can attest to that. This is true. Miguel and Ineda. They believe salsa dancing and gardening are the key to never growing old. Her younger sister, Melissa, is usually mistaken as a twin. Yes, for sure, because of their shared laugh and wardrobe. They also share the same progressive disease, Charcot-Marie Tooth, a condition that atrophies the muscles in the feet, legs, and hands. Growing up, Estella was surrounded by community service and could be found most times with crayons and notebooks in hand. After four happy and art-filled years at Farmingdale High School, my alma mater too, followed by another four at FIT, Estella pursued a career in design and is now combining her creative energy with passion for the nonprofit world. Her children, Bella and Devin, along with her partner, Jason, keep her laughing and make sure she doesn't take herself too seriously or life too seriously for that matter. Estella became a TEDx speaker with the inaugural TEDx Farmingdale event in 2019. And there's more and more and more that we're going to talk about. Impressive bio, my friend. You did it. Thank you. Thank you. You yeah. did it. So I'm going to start this thing off the way we always start these. Estella, are you a leader? I guess I'm on this podcast, so that qualifies me. So I'm going to have to go with yeah. <laughs> You definitely are a leader. I want to hear your definition of a, of a leader. Talk to me about what leadership means to you and why, the, why you feel that you're a leader. I think uh, leadership has a lot to do with listening more than speaking. Um, and it's for me, it's about empowering other people, not so much being someone who's followed, but someone who helps people connect with their inner leaders. Yeah, that's a, you know, when, when we've talked about this last season a lot, um, every single episode that we have uh, a leader come on here and we do one of these leadership interviews, I love how we've never had the same definition twice, never, ever had the same definition twice. And so that shows these, uh, the audience here that there are so many layers to leadership and so many different ways to look at it. And we're going to dive really, really into Estella's leadership and, and what she's putting out into the world right now. So let's, let's sort of rewind. Let's start at the beginning. Little Estella in, in, uh, North Massapequa, right? Yep. Very little Estella. Yeah. In North Massapequa, New York, right in the, in the Farmingdale school district. Uh, I met you in, well, I must've been in eighth grade and you were in seventh. Um, yeah. And, and, and you quickly became a friend and, and we've maintained that friendship for many years. But I remember that, uh, the, the first thing that I, I ever noticed about you was the way you walked. Um, and I remember 
I remember just uh, with our group of friends that we we kind of had this like amazement with you, right? And, and you don't want to just um, label somebody based on how they walk, based on how they look, how they move, but right, we're we're human beings, and so that's especially when we were kids, that was sort of a thing. And I I just remember always being so impressed with you because that quickly disappeared um, to me at least, and I just remember you being like the life of the conversation always making me laugh every time we were together. And, um, you know, it kind of taught me a lesson personally in, in, in terms of, uh, how we look at people and the many layers of people and that we can't just define them by a disability or an ability. Um, talk to me about growing up with a disability, what that was like for you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just a little note on, on that the walking thing, I was definitely twerking before it was a thing. So I wanted to <laughs> take credit for the whole twerking. Uh, I'll get on that. I'll get on that. I'll contact my people. <laughs> yes, let uh, Cardi B know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, growing up. Um, so, you know, the whole disability journey started at around three and a half years old when my parents noticed that I was falling a lot and I was tripping over my feet and, and they took me to my uh, doctor and they had me tested and came back with this weird disease called Charcot-Marie Tooth, which is not a dental disorder. Um, so yeah, my parents had no idea. It was just basically labeled under muscular dystrophy. And as you can imagine, as a parent, it was devastating. They had no idea what to expect. Um, but my parents are super resilient people. And instead of kind of going down the path of feeling bad for themselves and kind of um, hiding me away from society, which unfortunately some families do, they decided to go down the whole advocacy road and they started volunteering for the Muscular Dystrophy Association on Long Island. And they submitted my photo when I was about five years old uh, for the poster child of Long Island. And, um, you know, they accepted me and, and that was it. From that point on, we were every single weekend attending events on Long Island, Channel 12 News, newspapers, uh, dance-a-thons across every high school on Long Island. And it just became, we just became like embraced by this community and these families that were going through similar experiences as my parents. So it was very cathartic. And um, so, yeah, I mean, we grew up, you know, with this little spotlight on us in a way that was really encouraging and helped us build confidence. Um, so, yeah, I, I really feel blessed that that was kind of our introduction to this journey of disability, because um, I know that's a privilege. Not a lot of people have that. Yeah, but, you know, privilege be damned. I mean, that that couldn't have been easy. Right. That couldn't have been easy to be just dubbed this poster child. And, you know, when you talk about identity, which is, again, in in the early 90s, the late 80s, early 90s, identity wasn't a word really. Right. It's not something we really considered or thought about. But, you know, we look back to the experiences that have shaped us into who we are now and, and the trauma and, and the good, the bad and the ugly. Um, when you talk about identity, what did that feel like to sort of be synonymous with this, this disability? Yeah, I mean, there was definitely, I was well aware of it. And, you know, 
as I grew older, it became more and more kind of part of my identity. I had a surgery in sixth grade, which, you know, was pretty major. It was, you know, I was out of school for six to eight weeks with leg casts on up to my legs. So, you know, that was kind of like, I was that kid. Um, you know, I obviously I had a lot of friends and, um, you know, I had some really great peer support, but it was very clear to me at a young age that I was not going to be included in sports. Um, you know, around the age of 10 or so, I really lost the ability to run. Up until then, I was doing dance and baseball, but it is a progressive disability. So it was hard to kind of start to let go of those things at a time in your life where you're supposed to be really, you know, diving headfirst into yeah. sports and dance. And, um, you know, I'm not sure for me if it was as a result of having a disability or um, having a disability, you know, kind of pushed me in, into more of the arts direction because I wasn't able to go about um, with the sports. But I really took a liking to all things creative. And it was something that I can kind of sit down for hours and draw pictures and kind of um, use that as a form of therapy. So that that was something that really helped me through those years. It was something I was good at, right? I couldn't run or do the dance team, but I was good at art and I was good at design and that kind of filled that gap for me to some degree. Yeah. So uh, within within the community, I, I don't know what that community looked like for you um, in terms of you know being being so involved in these causes and advocacy at that age and, and with your parents. Was were there peers in this area that were uh, again? You said this was kind of like lumped in with muscular dystrophy, but it's really its own yeah. thing. Were, were there peers that you knew of um, that's, that suffered from the same disability at the time? And, and how did they, what was that comparison like for you? I guess is the question, because not everybody is you, right? And so, and when I say that is since I've known you since middle school, um, you know, you're an outgoing person, you have a great personality, you, you, you're, you're a funny person. That, it's very simple and very easy that when you're talking to Estella Lugo to kind of forget about that stuff like very quickly. And, and it's just not that you weren't one of us to begin with, right? But it's like you, you just felt like a, a, another person, right? That you didn't kind of see that, uh, the disability. And so, but not everybody has that personality. Not, not everybody... Um, can sort of make that kind of transition for themselves personally. What was that like for peers of yours within that community? Yeah, I think, you know, there, it's, it's a different experience for everyone. I think for me, because it happened so young, because I was diagnosed so young, I didn't know anything different. And there's cases of disability where that's, you know, that's not the way it happens. It, you know, for some people it happens overnight. It's a traumatic experience or accident. Um, so for me, it, I didn't know anything different, so I didn't really have much to compare to. Um, but one of the defining moments of growing up with a disability um, was we went to the MDA camp, kids camp, um, when we were about 10 years old to about 12, so two or three years um, for, you know, for two weeks in the summer. And it was all different types of kids with different types of muscular dystrophy. And that was the first time where we really got to live with other kids with disabilities 
a lot of them more, more physically affected than my sister and I. And so it really opened our eyes to, okay, A, we're not the only ones with disability. You know, it was me and my sister both had this. And B, it taught us a sense of gratitude, like, okay, we're not able to do this, but we can still do this. We found ourselves at camp, like helping other kids, um, you know, get in and out of the pool or do tasks. And we became the helpers where, you know, in our everyday life, we were the ones being helped. So it really was empowering. And we saw how other kids were living with this disease as well. And I have to tell you, like, we became inspired by the friends that we came across with. A lot of them were terminally ill. And, you know, I just remember so vividly, vividly putting on these talent shows with these kids. And it was just like, for those two weeks, nobody had a disability. Yeah. And when I tell you, like, you know, yeah. you describe me like that, like, that's how it was for us. We we were such a, a, a tribe because the minute we met, it was just like this unspoken connection with each other. And we just, we became the best of friends. And I still have a lot of close friends to this day from that camp. So that really opened our eyes and, and you know, gave us a sense of gratitude and it was like, you know, we were like, okay, we can do this. If these kids can do this, so can we, we're gonna be fine. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, so so when we talk about outlets, you know, especially during that age, the, those teen years, so you talked about it a little bit before, talk about uh, the role that creativity, art and design played in your life at that time. Yeah, like I said, I mean, it was kind of like an escape. It was something that I could build a skill in. It became part of my identity. I wasn't just, the girl with a disability, I was the, the artist, I was the creative kid. And I um, I often credit like creativity with disability because I think growing up with a disability, you have no choice but to become creative to some degree because you have to constantly be hacking and observing your environment and you know, thinking of new innovative ways to live your life in this world that was not created for people with disabilities. So I think people with disabilities tend to be more creative because of that. Um, and I think it's one of the assets that are often overlooked. Yeah. 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 Um, there are so many memories that come flooding back when, when I think oh, back geez. to that time. No, it's, it's funny. You mentioned, um, uh, muscular dystrophy dance. I remember we had oh, at our yeah. school mm-hmm. and, and that's actually one of my first memories of you is that that muscular dystrophy dance and if i'm not mistaken that's actually where z100 was there yes and chio the chio the freaking puerto rican remember him yes and he told us that night about the world trade center bombing the first one back in that was 1993. oh my goodness you remember that wow yeah it's all coming back to me i do remember that yeah, that was insane. Yeah. I also remember um, when we talk about art now, art has always been a hobby for me. I never defined myself as, as an artist or anything, but I, you know, I love drawing. I, I aspired when I was a kid to be a cartoonist before um, everything else kicked in. But I remember, you know, as an artist, you kind of had have your style and, and, and how you do things or whatever. And I remember the first time I saw you drawing and the way you held a pen. I, that's a, a memory I will never forget that I was like, holy shit, like 
that's it's incredible how good she is at what she does and and you talk about hacking right like you just figure out how to get things done so it's something i want you to know like i always admired um about you as as a teenager and then uh you know even later on in life which we'll, we'll get to um speaking of teen years talk about teen years to me a little bit yeah i think teen years can be rough for everyone i think just in general you know when we're teenagers we're we're looking to fit in as much as we don't like to think of ourselves as followers and leaders you know i did want to be part of the kick line and i did want to be part of the cheerleading team and all of that and it was you know it kind of you know because at that time in your life those activities those physical activities really can and do define your social circle at school right because that's you're spending all this time with these kids after school and you're you're working as a team and that really brings people together so i feel i felt like i was just shot out of that opportunity so i kind of had to find these other whether it was clubs or the the theater group which we were together in and you know these other outlets that i could participate in um but still it was it was it was bittersweet it was you know awesome because it was high school and but it was you know it was still that internal struggling with you know shit i can't do that or i can't do that or um, just feeling left out in a lot of scenarios. Yeah, you know, I, and this might sound silly to you. Um, be, I'm not trying to over-dramatize uh, this word when I say it, but do you feel like because you've gone through some of this, all of this stuff, and now you are an advocate um, that helps people, which again, we'll, we'll get to, um, do you feel to a degree like a sort of pioneer in this? And and the reason I use the word pioneer, I know it sounds uh, big, right? Um but like I said before, we didn't have uh, the same language when we were younger that they have now. We didn't have the same opportunities, the same channels. Um, you know, somebody with a disability when we were younger was relegated to a certain path in their life. And that was mm -hmm. kind of it. And now here you are as an adult who you advocate for um, people with disabilities. You, you, you help teach people a path. I hope somebody's listening to this that's the parent of, of uh, a child that is trying to find that path and just sees how many opportunities there are now as opposed to like when we were younger. D does that word ever pop in your head for you or, or any of your peers that you work with? I mean, I don't know if it's that word specifically, but I am very aware that I'm, I've been in the right place at the right time as far as like the whole disability advocacy movement, which has really gained incredible momentum in the past few years. I think um, social media has, is a big part of that reason why. Um, we just didn't have as many opportunities to really see people with disabilities living their lives. And so social media, I feel, has kind of opened the window to, to that world. And uh, it's kind of Pandora's box at this point where um, you know, there's no going back, but yeah, you're right. I mean, this disability was something that I was always trying, I, you know, after those earlier years, you know, I had kind of like my outside life of advocacy, but then when I went back to school, it was like, I got to hide the braces. I have to hide my disability. I have to just try and be as normal as everyone else. I have to keep up with everyone else. 
with a smile on my face. And that can be really exhausting. Um, so I think, you know, I, I'm not sure if I'm uh, kind of going off on a tangent here, but yeah, I think I have always been just somebody who's followed my instincts to some degree. Yeah. Like I really kind of, my brain follows my heart and not the other way around. So, you know, I just, you know, when these opportunities came into my life, you know, years after, you know, you know, later on as an adult, it just resonated so strongly with those early years of advocacy. And I kind of almost just had this, I remember who I am, you know, after college and, you know, you have to go down the whole career path and marriage and kids and, and I kind of thought that part of my life was over, right? But then I just had this opportunity to speak up again and it felt good. And I had people come come up to me and people, um, you know, reacting and saying, thank you. Or, or, you know, I feel the same way too. Thank you for saying that. Thank you for helping. Um, so yeah, for me, it's just been a really full circle moment. And I just... I love shining the spotlight on advocates. It's not just, you know, it's not me. It's me shining the spotlight on people who are breaking stigmas in the disability world. That really excites me. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, so, so we talk about, um, you know, volunteerism and, and activism and everything as you sort of went through the motions of life. And, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about it. You went to FIT, you, I, we don't, we could talk about whatever you want at this point, but I watched, um, the budding career of an incredible designer. I remember when, uh, you know, when we were out of college and you were doing all kinds of stuff that was so cool to, to watch. Um, and then, you know, you kind of found your tribe. You, 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 you found this groove in life where, um, whether it was volunteering, whatever it was that brought you back to it, you found activism again. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I think, you know, we all, we all think we know what our career is going to be. We go to college, we study a certain skill set, we set off into the world looking for work in that, in that area. And we think we have it all planned out, right? We're gonna like, climb the ladder and that ladder for me was i'm going to become a famous interior designer i'm going to design my own furniture i'm going to be in magazines and then my stuff's going to be on the shelf on target and it all just, happened every one of those I, things happened by the way folks i just want to throw that out there i know she's yeah, minimalizing it here but <laughs> but yeah that's what i thought success was at that time in my life and as you know, I, I checked off those boxes, it still felt like something was missing. And I think that happens to a lot of us in, in life that, you know, we think that, you know, that corner office or that quote unquote dream job is gonna make us happy. But at the end of the day, it's about purpose. And that wasn't something that I was very conscious of yet, but I knew something was missing. I knew I wasn't happy. I knew I, you know, I knew I was just designing stuff at the end of the day. And I was like, well, what is this stuff doing? And um, I just happened to come across this documentary called Bernadette um, on, 
on um, on Facebook, Amazing. a trailer for this documentary. And it was the first time in my life that I saw somebody living with a CMT on a screen. And, you know, she had cameras follow her around for three years, um, just capturing her life and her journey. And it just kind of split me open. And I was so inspired by her because I knew, my God, this woman's going to change the world. She is the voice for CMT. Like, I reached out to her and I, something about that movie was just like, I want to be like her. That, I want to be like her. And, you know, that was the start of volunteering for H&F, who uh, was the organization that funded the film. And literally within months, you know, I was spending the weekend at, at Bernadette's house and we became friends and she introduced me to the um, the organization and I started volunteering and I started taking that creative side of me and literally just throwing ideas on the table for this organization. Yeah, channeling it. Yeah, just what if you do this or we could do this or we could help raise money by doing this. And yeah, I was just so inspired and it was the first time where I was really combining these two lives that I've been living for so long. It was like advocacy and the creativity. So I felt like I could put my whole self into this one purpose and this one line of work. And for a lot of people, you know, we feel like we're splitting our lives down the middle. And I think when we can make that connection, it's alignment. And that's when we can really drive impact and change. Yeah. So, so, in that moment when when you sort of discovered Bernadette, the documentary, and and it led you down a certain path, right? Something that we call on on the launchcast here a spark moment. Uh, any mm-hmm. moment that good, bad, or indifferent just leads you down a path in life. Um, and so I saw that. I remember that specific time period. We were chatting about it. I think that's that's around the time that I was getting involved with Shannon's fight. My big spark moment in life that led me down a completely path and a uh, completely different path in my life. Um, talk to me for a moment about representation. Um, this for me, when I look at this, it's, it's this moment where um, I saw a, a, a shift in you um, and I couldn't really define it then. It was later on that I really, you know, uh, w- was able to, to define what Estella does and what she's about and what she, cares about what she's passionate about what did it feel like to be represented on a screen for the first time and what did that do for you in the long term about putting a fire in your belly to to sort of understand that the want for representation and the need for representation are two different things and that representation is absolutely a need a necessity what did that do for you that moment, you know, in, in terms of Bernadette and, and seeing somebody who represented you on a screen? Yeah, it just, it just, like I said, it cracked me open and I couldn't help but like just go. She was just like this lighthouse, you know, this is how I describe it. I was just like, just that's, that's the direction I need to go right now. And like a beacon. I was, yeah, I was just in a place in my life where I was just like, you know, if I'm not a designer, what what the hell am I? What 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 am I doing here? And she literally answered that question in like that in that two hours of that film. And I think the beauty of representation is that it 
literally connects people. And, and it's not about, you know, oh, you know, my face on a, on a screen or, you know, my face, uh, you know, on a commercial. It's more than that. It's, it's saying to other people that they belong there, that yep. their voice matters. And I think that's the beauty of storytelling and, and, and letting yourself become a vulnerable because there's no other way to do it. There's no other way to be a true representative without becoming vulnerable and just speaking your truth. And, you know, Bernadette was such an amazing representation of that. Like she was, I mean, she was laughing on screen. She was cursing on screen. She, I mean, it was just unfiltered. And I was like, this is what people need to see. This is how we get people to care enough to make change. And I think that's why it's it's so, so powerful to share our stories because that is how people find you and connect to that mission. Yeah, yeah, that's incredible. And and, and from that moment on, uh, and we had lost touch for, for a little while. Um, you know, we all go through life and, and we've, we've both been through some similar stuff, marriage and kids and divorce and, and the whole deal. And here we are years later sort of reconnecting and there was this the same Estella that I knew, but different. You know, there was just something different about you. And I I, I loved it because it was a, a very similar shift that I went through too. It was just like finding a purpose. I guess that's the way I could define it. There was a different purpose there um in, in both of us. And you started doing some incredible things. Talk about testifying in front of the FDA in in 2018. Yeah, I think that's um you know, our organization does some incredible, credible work. And part of that is informing the FDA about the need for clinical trials and research and funding for shark Murray tooth because it is the most uh, common inherited neuropathy and it's just as common as MS. And, you know, most people have never heard of shark Murray tooth. Um, so, you know, part of our mission was to really educate the FDA and how do we do that? Through storytelling, you know, the, the art of representation includes what is the patient experience and why should people care about this disease? What is the impact of this disease? So it really gave me an opportunity to kind of look back and say, how has this disease impacted me? The good and the bad, um, you know, because that's the only way we really are going to be able to get people to care enough to put money behind the research that that we so, so very much need for this. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that was my first time speaking publicly and being vulnerable um, about this disease. And, you know, in my talk, I, I described CMT as the invisible friend that you never want, because when I look back, it was just it was always there no matter what I was doing. Um, and there was no like, you know, there's no separation between disease and your life. It's it's something that is entangled in, I said, you know, your world, your life's biggest decisions and the smallest details, you know, down to whether or not I could put my daughter's hair in ponytails to whether I could see my kids ski for the first time. You know, all of that is just, drastically impacted and um it just really felt great to be a voice for the 2.6 million people around the world living with this yeah 
Yeah. Um, I want to shift for, for a second before we get back on this path. So you, you mentioned your kids. Um, talk to me about the impact, first of all, the impact that um, your disability has had on your life as a mother. Yeah, I mean, motherhood has, has always been something in the back of my mind because we never fully understood the genetics of this disease, how me and my sister both ended up with it. The technology has not been around until just recently. I got confirmation that my children would never um, would never show symptoms of this disease, and they're they're completely um, you know without CMT. But it was scary. It was scary not knowing whether or not I was going to pass this along. Um, and, you know, worried about whether or not I was going to lose grip of my kid's hand crossing the street or buckle them into a car seat because it does affect my hands um, and, and, and feet pretty severely. So, you know, all of those little details about motherhood that we worry about, you know, a lot of that was magnified for me. Um, but at the same time, it helped create kids that were really empathetic and really aware and observant of people's needs and sensitive to disability in general. And, you know, when my son, I just remember my son was maybe seven years old and I just remember we were, you know, going into a store and he put his arm out without, you know, without me asking, he just put his arm out because he knew that I was going to need help coming up uh, the curb. And just, you know, those little things, I'm just like, oh, you know, it makes my, it makes me tear up because they are, you know, as, as hard as it has been for them to grow up with, with this as well. There's been a lot of gifts that I think have, have come from it. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. How old was your son when that happened? About, about seven, mm. seven or eight. He was young. Crazy. Obviously yeah. already taller than you at that point. Well, they, they've been taller than you since pretty much birth. So. Yeah, that's a whole other, that's a whole other <laughs> Um, You know, so, so as we sort of get back to this path of, of advocacy, one of uh, the coolest moments uh, in my life has definitely been, um, well, I should say group of moments, but um, having the ability to, to host a stage uh, that, that people can get on and share these important ideas. Um, and so as a public speaker myself and a TEDx, uh, alumnus, you know, in 2019, I embarked on uh, producing the first TEDx Farmingdale event. And it was it was kind of cool because we had open applications. And I knew that I would pick a slew of our, our talks from open applications. And then there were the people that I knew deserved a stage and had something to say, even though they might not have known in that very moment what it was. Um, but I just remember reconnecting with you and seeing that fire there and like kind of watching like proudly as you in those couple of years, right? Now, I'm not I'm not trying to uh, talk down to you when I say this. This isn't the patriarchy taking over. This is this is me like looking at somebody that was budding so quickly in this aspect of their lives. And I was just I was so proud to watch you to kind of go like, I can't wait to see like what she does next, because she's very quickly going to, you know, just just become a complete badass in what she's doing. And it was a very proud moment to be able to go, hey, Estella, you need to take this stage, you know, um, let's get you on there and, and let's figure out 
what you're going to do. Talk about, um, you know, the road to to becoming a TEDx speaker. And of course, your talk, Repurpose Your Pain, which is what we, we called this episode after your, uh, your TEDx talk. Yeah, I mean, I seriously, I remember watching TED Talks before anybody knew what the hell a TED Talk was. Like, I just remember watching and just like never getting enough of them. And, you know, the minute you told me that you were going to be hosting one, I was like, oh, my God, I wasn't even thinking about becoming a speaker. I was like, I'm not even that didn't even literally cross my mind. I just knew I wanted to be part of the team and help and like, let me know whatever you need, George. And and then I remember you telling me, well, I was kind of hoping you'd do a talk. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, seriously, my heart stops because that was always something like way back on the back burner of things I would love to accomplish in my life. But I just had this idea of a, a TED talk of, of someone that was like, you know, super experienced in their field with like a PhD and like all these accolades. And so it really, I had to kind of shut down that, um, you know, that, that self doubt and just be like, okay, let me think about it for a little while. And then I just realized like, I have no idea what I'm going to say, but I can't say no to an opportunity to do yeah. a TEDx talk. Um, so that was it. And like, you seriously really helped me kind of carve out my, you know, just those first rough bullets of what, what a potential talk could look like. And it was really such a great opportunity to self-reflect and look at my life and say, what what do these dots add up to? You know, what what's kind of like the big picture here um, of what I'm trying to accomplish? Um, and yeah, it just came back to repurposing your pain, you know, and it was something that I wanted everyone to be able to connect with the idea of taking a painful experience in your life or a painful circumstance or some sort of you know, adversity that we've all to some degree experienced in our life and switching that around and finding power in that and finding purpose and becoming that person that you needed at that point in your life. And that was just, um, you know, that's, that was the main message. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's, that's the cool part about these things because, um, I never believe that you need the PhD to do something like that. You know, I'm, I'm always the opposite. I'm the, I'm the, uh, I'm the experienced guy, right? You know, you, you, you learn from experience. Of course you learn from school. Like I, I don't take that away from anybody, but, um, to be able to learn this lesson throughout, you know, your years of life centered around what you've gone through right and and the difficulties you've gone through and not just with your disability with with anything and then being able to give a talk where that it sort of transcends yeah okay here let's talk about cmt let's talk about everything i've gone through but it's not just about cmt it's about pain and there's there's pain in everybody's lives and if we can repurpose that look what we could turn it into i i don't even want to give it away we're going to have in the show notes a link to estella's um TEDx talk. And by the way, go back to episode 302. You were on 302. Um, the, the second part of the TEDx Farmingdale roundtable series um, to hear a little bit more about that. But I'm going to put the, the, the link to her talk in the show notes. There's some 
really really great stuff in there there's a very cool surprise in the talk so check that out guys and uh you know uh give her some love for that talk because she really you really did a, a an incredible job with that talk um it was so fun to work with you and collaborate on that and uh okay. you know and it was it if if I could sort of have the, the these goggles on where I could see what your talk is going to look like before you even came up with the talk, it's almost like I imagine you giving this exact talk. It's like the talk you were meant to give on the red dot, you know, yeah. and it was so cool to see that. And that's exactly how it felt. Like yeah. if I was going to like if I was going to leave one message to the world in my lifetime, that's that's what it is. I mean, and that, I think that's what TEDx allows you to do is really reflect on like, you know, if I had one message to leave the world, what would it be? You know, like that's a big ask. So that's why I think there is so much pressure, but it really, you know, you, you were just so collaborative with it. And I think we just worked so well, you know, just developing it yeah. and, and fine tuning it and making it, relevant and the irony of that was I was literally standing on the same stage at the high school that I was when we when we did theater club and put on musicals and I just remember you know being on that stage in high school and being just like so terrified to fall over or so terrified that someone would see my braces or it's so terrified terrified to be in the spotlight because I was always like the chorus like I would get made fun of. I was like the tree in the background, but I was just so excited to be part of it. But this time I was like, no, this time I'm literally in the spotlight by myself on the stage, rocking my braces with a short skirt. And like, it was just such a full circle moment for me. And like, it couldn't have been more poetic. Yeah. Oh my God, seriously, right? So <laughs> I've had many of those moments in in that very school myself. It's It's... It's crazy when when life sort of comes full circle and we can really, you know, give a lesson out like repurpose your pain, um, you know, because if if we can, if audi the audience here can sort of take one lesson from this one takeaway, it's that pain is sort of, I don't know, as you as you kind of get older and you learn to repurpose it, the pain, the, the identity of the pain sort of goes away. Right. Mm -hmm. Like there it loses identity and it just becomes a thing. It just becomes pain. It becomes another thing that you have to overcome. And so, you know, even for me, if it's uh, whatever I've gone through in my life, whether it's divorce, whether it's, you know, job loss, loss, failure in a business, whatever the case is, that after a while, when you sort of learned how to repurpose it and overcome it and transcend it, that all lost it, its identity. It didn't matter what it was that was my pain. It mattered that I learned how to overcome it and I, I could help other people do it. And that's, that's what you did with this talk. So kudos to you for that. Um, uh, I have a note here uh, uh, in, in my notes um, with an interesting phrase, interabled relationships. Talk on that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, like I said, you know, dating is hard in general. <laughs> But when you throw disability into the mix, there's a lot, there's a lot of unpacking to do. Um, and I think it's it's a term that has just started to get some attention, um, you know, in social media and across the advocacy groups 
because I think up until recently, you know, goes back to representation, we really haven't seen many people with, like, I'm talking about real actors with disabilities, real, you know, real performers um, on stage with disabilities, people in the spotlight. And so with that, now that we are seeing that, you know, we're seeing, well, what, what are their lives look like? You know, are they married? Are they, do they have children? Do they have families? And, you know, I think it's something that we really need to break some stigmas about. This is kind of, you know, one of the reasons why we started our podcast is to talk about the trials and tribulations of dating with a disability and how you, how you communicate as a person with a disability to your spouse, how you carry yourself in the world is literally going to determine the type of person that you attract. You know, if I feel sorry for myself throughout life, I mean, I'm going to attract somebody that, you know, is going to be also ashamed of my disability to some degree and is, is going to, you know, act, act in a certain way because of the way that I, I see myself. So I think empowering people to say yes, I have a disability. Yes, I can still, you know, be sexual. I can still be sexy. I can still date. I can still have wonderful, healthy relationships. Um, you know, there's a great hashtag on Instagram called 100 out of 100 um, using the numbers. And it's all interabled couples. And I think up until recently, like, now we're seeing people on social media and we did a screening of a incredible documentary called Take a Look at This Heart um, of, of interable couples. And I think the main message is that disability can happen to anyone at any point in their life. Yeah. And we tend to think of disability as like, oh, disability is about them. It's not about me. It's, you know, those people with disabilities. No, like you can literally wake up tomorrow and be disabled. You can get into a car accident and then what? Are you no longer able to date or have a relationship? Like that's not, that's not how life happens. It's not how life works. So I think just showing the the beauty of interable couples is something that's really um, interest, interested me because it hasn't been done before. Um, so yeah, I mean it's it's something that we're working on and uh Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, quick shout out to to Ben Duffy with Take a Look yes. at This Hard. Ben Duffy, incredible, incredible director. Um we we had him on uh early on in, in season one. It was one of the heaviest episodes we've ever had of the launch cast. Really, really amazing episode. He's such a great dude. Please follow He's his incredible. work and support him. Please, please incredible stuff you can uh, i'll probably maybe i'll put in the show notes a link back to that episode so people can listen to it um yes. yeah uh you mentioned the podcast before i want to talk about a couple of things before we start wrapping up i want to talk about uh the stuff that you're putting out there uh now that you are like a number one advocate in the world for like everything um the embrace it podcast breaking stigmas uh that started in 2019 right yeah yeah, I mean, it, it formed really organically with uh, a friend of mine who I met uh, shortly before that. Her name is Lainey Ishbia. Um, she also has CMT, and she had this awesome, you know, this really great social um, social worker 
background. And we started just doing some workshops at the events that we were doing for the organization. And I just loved her energy. She was doing, you know, we, she did this workshop on how to communicate when you have a disability. And she did like role playing and, and all this like really interactive stuff. I was like, oh my God, I've never thought of disability in this way and the impact that our language around disability can have on on just our quality of life and, yeah. and, and our relationships. So yeah, I mean, we, we formed this really great friendship and we would have these conversations and we're like, you know, we know not everyone has that friends with a disability that they can talk to. So we wanted to bring those conversations to the community. And from there, we started interviewing other people with disabilities, advocates in the disability world and just hearing about their incredible stories and inclusive dance companies and actors and actresses and fashion models. And um, I just love it because it really shines a light on this wide spectrum of, of disability. It's not just, you know, blind or deaf or autism. It's, you know, every, everyone under this wide, wide umbrella. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Um, to, to go further, how to communicate about disability workshops and future course. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, I believe that in order to be the best disability advocate for other people, you first have to be your own advocate and you have to learn how to advocate for yourself. So our workshops are really built around that idea of empowering people to harness that that inner advocate for themselves you know how to speak about their disability without shame how to be able to use humor to get what they need or um, how to ask for accommodations without feeling like they're a burden so we really put together these workshops to create a, you know a framework on how people can slowly shift their mindset from feeling like a victim to feeling empowered and like a leader so that they can join join this advocacy world because we need people. We need people speaking up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And and again, we'll have uh, links in the show notes uh, for how you can contact Estella for these workshops uh, to book her. And uh, you need to. You need to. Companies out there that are looking to have some really, really important, thoughtful workshops, this is something to consider. Um, all right, we're almost there. We're almost at the big three. Uh, I want to talk about talk about full circle, right? You you attended FIT um, right out of high school and all of a sudden came back for FIT Design for Social Impact, uh, the course that you're teaching. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, this is where purpose is so crazy because once you align with your purpose, like literally the dots start to connect themselves and you don't have to worry about the next step. It just kind of falls into place. So that screening of that film, Take a Look at This Heart, about interabled relationships, um, took place at FIT. And when we were doing that screening, I came across these two awesome professors that were doing, um, you know, were teaching classes and programs around design, but design that that made a difference in the world that had a positive impact. And so out of the blue in 2020, they reached out to me saying that 
Um, you know, they remembered my disability advocacy work and they were putting together this new program called Design for Social Impact. And they wanted to um, have a section in there about um, inclusivity and accessibility and how that relates to design and how we can, as designers, how we can help create a more inclusive world. And so they offered me, yeah, they offered me the position to co-teach the class with them along with um, Hannah Getachew, which is, a, she's an incredible social entrepreneur. Um, also good friends in uh, F, uh, Farmingdale um, High School graduate. So yeah, it, it all came together. And and so, you know, we, we help teach these budding designers the importance of disability inclusion in their work and how their 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 design is going to impact whether or not people with disabilities have access to buildings or products or apps and and everything across the board yeah amazing amazing and i i know how how jazzed you got when when that opportunity came up and and you were mm -hmm. able to sort of come back to uh, and do this work at FIT. And Hannah Gettichu, by the way, was also, uh, uh, she was actually mm -hmm. a panel member on one of our um, How to Be a Human Being episodes, really, really important series that we did about the Black Lives Matter movement um, back in our first season, I think? First, second, I don't know, somewhere there. We'll, we'll put it in the show notes, why not? Um, you know what, let me, let me wrap up by asking you, I had a couple of things in the notes, but I, I think we'll have you back for more one day. Uh, to continue these conversations because um, there's so much more stuff going on. And uh, uh, I am in the middle, by the way, of binging your podcast. It's something that I had not ever had a chance to catch up on. And so um, I have a new, a few new podcasts that I'm adding to it. So we'll report back next time you're on, on that. Yeah. Um, the, the last question before we move on to the big three is what is next? What is next for you, Estella? Um, you know, I think now in this post-COVID world, one of the silver line, linings of it has been we can access so many more people um, in, in, in the disability community. And so, you know, the, the workshops that Lainey and I were doing in person, um, we're now putting into a, an online course. And uh, hopefully that will be ready to go sometime next year. Um, so yeah, you know, we just want to reach more people. We want to create more leaders. And, you know, part of the excitement of following your purpose is that you never know what's around the corner. So I'm always open to new surprises and new opportunities. And, and we'll see where that leads me. Amazing. Amazing. Guys, it's time for the big three. The big three from the launch cast. The big three. Okay, We're, I'm going to throw out a, a a few things for you here, Estella. You're going to give me your top three quick, concise answers for each. Ready? Number one, tacos. Tacos. There we go. That's the show, guys. <laughs> Let me put the, the outro on. No, just kidding. All right. First one. Favorite three places that you've traveled ever. Oh, well, this is going to be easy now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Italy, Venice, definitely. Uh -huh. Highly recommend. Uh, Lake Como. <laughs> Switzerland. Specifically George Clooney's house. Yeah, go ahead. Tell him. Specifically George Clooney's house. More specifically, it's Helipad. 
yeah. <laughs> I'm watching. Uh, I'm watching yeah. Estella's journey as she was on vacation a, a, a while back, and it's like, oh, we're in Lake Como. Oh, look, there's George Clooney's house. Then and then it's like, yeah, I'm inside his air conditioning vent. <laughs> I see him I totally, in the bathtub. <laughs> I totally manifested it. I had no idea. It was the funniest thing. You know, like we, we were joking the whole time. I'm going to see George Clooney. Then our Airbnb was literally directly in the light of sight, in the line of sight of his villa. So we were stalking him on the daily. That's um, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Rough trip uh, in terms of accessibility though, right? Brutal. Yeah. Brutal. Yeah. yeah, more so for my boyfriend who had to piggyback me up a, a, a few hundred stairs. But yeah, I think it definitely gives me a, a more appreciation for the U.S. as much work as we still need to do. But the ADA is is truly a blessing. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's it's so funny because a lot of the parts that make these places inaccessible are are, are also part of its beauty. Yeah, if that makes any sense. Sure, no, it so makes sense. Like, you know, it's a love-hate relationship I have with these old towns and these beautiful scenic uh, cities. Yeah, I can't yeah. even. I can't even imagine. I remember going to Miami with you years back, <laughs> and that was hard enough. <laughs> that was oh hard enough. God. I think I blacked that out. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, correction. You were blacked out during I that. Were, I probably yeah. got to. <laughs> All right. Um, so th this is a this is a tough one. Um, three moments where you felt like specific moments that you can remember where you felt like disability ruled your life. Wow. Um, there's moments where I'm like, "Fuck." Yeah. And one of those moments was actually last weekend at a wedding and like if you know anything about my parents they are like the most incredible dancers my father can literally still spin my mom like the 80 miles an hour on a dance floor and he's like 77. um but yeah just slowly losing the ability to dance mm really fucks with my head because I love to dance. I'm Puerto Rican. I love music. So yeah, that's one, that's one moment that's just like, fuck. Um, disability ruled my life. <sighs> Shit. I'm trying to think of any, um, when I fall, you know, um, a lot of times like my legs, are weak and I will just, it's like somebody took a baseball bat. It's like that scene from like Dumb and Dumber where <laughs> the entire gets in the back of the legs with the back. Like that is me when I fall. And you've witnessed it plenty of times. <laughs> I have witnessed it. And, and by the way, we're, I am not laughing at disability. I'm no, laughing specifically not. at Estella. <laughs> Sometimes I go down in like slow motion, which is really funny. <laughs> but other times like, like nine out of 10 times, I'm okay. Like I get up within like a minute and I laugh it off. But like there's that one out of 10 times where I get hurt and I'm just like, God damn it. Yeah. It like it knocks the wind out of you. I can be literally crossing the street in Manhattan. I can be in front of a room of people. I can be on the top stairs of, of Howitt Junior High School in front of the wrestling team. True 
story. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm like, fuck. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, it's, uh, I don't know. It's, 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 that's, those are the moments where you learn to laugh at yourself. Yeah. You yeah. know? We'll stick with um, two on this. We could do two. Yeah. That's yeah. Okay. Let's stick with two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, can you pinpoint uh, another tough one and then we'll get easy. Um, can you pinpoint three specific, when we talk about repurposing your pain, can you pinpoint three specific moments of pain that you looking back now know that you have repurposed in your life? Mm-hmm. When I have calls, I, I just had an amazing Zoom call with a family from Spain last week. And I actually um, brought my parents on this call because this um, man's son is newly diagnosed. He's six years old. And they are, you know, going through the same thing my parents went through when, when we were diagnosed. So we had a Zoom call and, you know, he was asking questions and my parents were just talking about how it was growing up and how they raised me and giving them advice. And, you know, there were moments in there like we were all trying not to get choked up. Um, but, you know, there was, there was a moment there where he said, if my son ends up like your daughter, then we will be happy. And I was just like, oh, my God, you know, like this is what this is what sharing your story does to people, because it gives them it gives them an example of of what somebody's life can be, that it doesn't have to be doom and gloom, whether or not you end up in a wheelchair. You know, Um, I think for a lot of parents, they're just so worried. Is my kid going to be able to have a family? Is my kid going to be able to walk? And what happens if they can like? Are they going to be able to hold a job? And when they see people like myself sharing their story, they're like, okay, there's somebody that did it. Um, so that, that was an incredible moment. That's um, amazing. And, yeah. and by the way, I would pay anything to see Miguel on a Zoom call. Anything. Because I will tell you one thing. Yesterday, yesterday I, I asked my dad if he had something um, uh, in the garage, a piece of radio equipment because something broke in my office. Anyway, he's got a whole bunch of garbage in his garage and he goes, oh, I'm getting back to the house soon and I'll call you. So he FaceTimes me and this was seven tries of FaceTiming and he's like, do you see it? And I'm like, I am looking at your face. You have to flip the camera around. And then it'll be like, he'll flip the phone, but he'll also flip the other button. So again, I'm looking at his face. Do you see it now? And I'm like, oh my God. Are my ears bleeding? <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not much better on our ends. And plus the language barrier makes it even that much more fun. Um but yeah, yeah. it's it's adorable. Oh God bless it is him. adorable. God bless him. <laughs> Best damn lawn on Long Island ever. Ever. Formerly, I should say. <laughs> um All right, last one on the big three and then and then I have a, a a more serious question for you. Um, three goals for the future. Three big goals for the future. Um, Does not have to be professional, by the way. Yeah, I just want to really pursue my physical health. I want to push the limits on what my body can do. Um, I want to see how much of this progression is um, is something that I can reverse. Um, 
so yeah, I'm kind of taking on that on as a new challenge. This whole dancing thing really pissed me off. So now I'm just like, I'm working out twice as much and I'm, that's my goal is to really get back on the dance floor. So that's, that's one. Um, two is I'm part of a really exciting gene therapy project for um, this specific mutation of CMT that I have. And so um, my goal is to be one of the first people in the clinical trial to test this out as a human lab rat. And if I end up with horns and a tail, so be it. But um, yeah, so that's that's definitely on my bucket list of things to do. And three is I just wanna keep traveling the world to as many countries as I can. I have an incredible partner that now that empowers me to do that. And, and um, yeah, there's no limits. I love it. I love it. I'm so glad you you mentioned the uh, uh, the gene therapy lab rat thing. I had it in my notes, and it was just there's so much stuff here that I, I couldn't get to everything. But I'm I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, all right, so that's it for the big three. I have a, I have a real question for you. This is more uh, advice for you. So, um, you know, disability comes in many shapes, sizes, forms, um, and so you kind of. Uh, stole my thunder a little bit before talking about your conversation with you know where you brought your your parents onto that call and everything. Um, what kind of advice would you give? I, I have a, a new little baby girl. Uh, well, not so new anymore. She's 14 months old, um, who has a disability. Um, you know, she she has hearing loss. She she wears hearing aids. Um, you know, something that look we're we're riding the wave and and we are doing everything we can at this point. We're we're educating ourselves. We're um, as parents trying to give her every opportunity to not only overcome but to to just adapt um, to what life is going to be like. And and but you know, I'm a I'm a dad and and I'm all heart and I'm scared to death for her. Uh, and like like those people said to you, if if my daughter can grow up with a disability and turn out just like you. Um, you know, I will have done my job. So what advice as, as, first of all, as a parent, would you have, or what advice for my daughter would you have? Yeah, I think one of the most powerful things to do, whether you're a parent or a child is just to connect like that's that, that tribe, that tribe will carry you. I mean, you, you have, I'm sure you have a million questions in your minds and connecting with other families that have been down similar roads and, and and have made those milestones that you know are in the back of your head i think is really therapeutic um and just and just educating yourself on the the you know everything from the research to the technology to um you know the the medical side of it i think is really empowering um, a lot of times people are scared to do that um, and they, they, they were, they read the most like worst case scenarios. Um, but yeah, I would really just dive deep into the advocacy community um, because I think you'll draw a lot of inspiration and strength from that. Just seeing other people, um, you know, experience similar challenges and it's something it's, I mean, disability is something that is part of the human experience. We're all gonna get old at some point in our life, yeah. right? We're all gonna lose some yeah. form of mobility. For you know? <laughs> but um, yeah, I think it's just something that we need to lose our grip on 
you know, that that fear aspect of disability and understand that it's something to be celebrated and, and, um, and never ashamed of, right? That's the worst thing I, I think a parent can do is be ashamed of their child because they're different or discourage their child from speaking out about their disability or showing their disability, you know? I, yeah. I see hearing now that look, they have like flowers and they're beautiful. And, and that's what disability should be. It should be something that's beautiful and celebrated and part of the, the beauty of diversity. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Estella Lugo, ladies and gentlemen, what a beautiful human being. Thank you so much. So, so much for doing this. Um, the, the, this is going to help a lot of people, this interview and, uh, Follow Estella. We're going to have all of her links in the show notes. Check out uh, her, her podcast that we mentioned. Just follow this chick. She's doing amazing things. All right. Thank you, Estella. Don't follow me too close, though, because I might knock, knock into you. I'm going to put you back in the green room, and then I'll say goodbye to you after the show. I do my, Thank you, my I'll do my little outro here. Oh, man. This screen just got a whole lot uglier. Guys, we did it. I got to tear up these show notes. We killed this thing. This is season three of the LaunchCast. You think we're fucking around? We're not fucking around here. It's getting crazy with leadership. We are going to go so deep. And the whole point of this season is to get you guys to not just listen, not just listen to this thing and learn about leadership. You've done enough listening. Get the fuck up. Stand up and do something. That's the point of this thing. I'm so charged up right now for... This was an incredible interview last night, and I'm going to talk about this another week. Last night, I had such a cool moment at, at our Board of Ed meeting um, uh, as a public speaker, as, a, as, a, uh, as an advocate. Oh, man, I can't, I can't wait to tell you guys about that. But leading into the TEDx Farmingdale 2021 weekend, this is the perfect way to jump in. So thank you for joining us again, guys. Thank you to our guest, Estelle Lugo. We'll see you next time. Launch sequence terminated. Into the black hole. Thanks for listening to the LaunchCast today. Please make sure to subscribe to this feed wherever podcasts are available. Follow me, George Andriopoulos, at Launchpad CEO on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And make sure to visit our website, guys, thelaunchcast.com. Looking forward to the next episode. See you soon, guys.